What does make straight the paths mean? What's the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? And what is one of the most successful ways of sharing the gospel? All right, so we'll get to, we'll get to answer all those things, and hopefully as we go through, it'll help, it'll help you out. All right? So let's pray first. So God, we just uh, thank you for our time, Lord. We thank you for your word, God, that you've given to us where life does not have to be um, one big mystery and just a huge puzzle and something that's always foggy and blurry and we're just trying to understand, God. You, you've spoken through your word, Lord, and you've put it there for us. And I thank you that we can read it and we can spend time in it. And then we also thank you that a part of you lives in the believer to help explain and clear up some of the confusion that we might have. So God, we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the way you want to make things clear to our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you just do that this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we just started a book of John, right? So this is our new book of John. And uh, we talked a lot last week about who this guy is. John, he was a fisherman, right? Blue-collar guy, Naugatuck guy. That's what he was. And he had a brother, James. And, um, and these two brothers had a nickname. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. Um, and uh, one, one place where we know why got, they got that nickname is because they went into a town one time with Jesus, and uh, the town really just didn't respond to the gospel really at all. And uh, uh, John and, and James said, hey, should we rain down fire from heaven like upon this place? <laughs> and so they got their name Sons of Thunder, you know, from that um, and then from a couple other instances. And um, it's interesting, as you go through the book of John, he also has another nickname called the Beloved Disciple. He was like, uh, uh, had a special place, you know, in Jesus' heart. And um, at the last meal, the, the last... Uh, a supper before he went to the cross, they were all sitting around the table and having a meal together there in the upper room, and he was sitting right next to Jesus, and um, you can just kind of tell through the writing and as you go through the book that they had an intimate, you know, close relationship, which was something special. And last week, we spent a lot of time looking at the book of John and how we got there and um, kind of what's going on with John, but then we closed, right, remember we closed with the candle and the light and the darkness, right, remember when we talked about that? And... Um, I don't know how you did this week. We talked about last week that the, there really is no battle between lightness and light and dark. There just is no battle at all. It's not even close. As soon as you turn the lights on, like darkness is gone. Um, as soon as light shows on the scene, it always wins. It's always superior to darkness, and darkness is always inferior to light. Always is. And Jesus is called the light of the world. And we have that in our hearts. And when we spend time with Him and we stay in His presence, we get that in our lives. And so when we show up to darkness and we show up around places and people and environments and situations that are just dark, you know, it's just hopeless and they're just, um, there's a lot of strife and it's just, it uh, seems like there's no way out and people are stuck and leave it to the Christian to show up because they have the light of the world, Right? 
And when that light shows up on the scene, darkness can't stay there. Like the climate, the atmosphere, the culture should change when the Christian shows up. It's sad if it doesn't. And then it's really sad if it gets even darker and more depressing when the Christian shows up because they're able to complain better than everybody else. That's when it gets really sad. But we talked about last week how the battle is not between light and dark. The battle is between having the basket on and the basket off. Remember, we referred back to um, Jesus where he said, you guys are the light of the world. Nobody puts a light out and puts it under a basket. I remember we were up here and I had a little illustration about the light and covering it up. You know, because that's really the only thing that the enemy can do. He can try and get a basket and try and cover the light and keep it on there and give us a reason to keep that thing closed. And he's unfortunately really good at it. And many times, like, uh, we give him the ability to do that, to cover up that light or to dim that light. Or, uh, like we talked about, become a 007 secret Christian. And uh, that's not the calling. That's not the calling. You know, we were promised so much more than that. So much more than that. And JTB was kind of a subject last week, and he's a big subject this week. And we're going to take a look at um, why John even brings this guy up and uh, what it has to do with proving that Jesus is really the Son of God. Because that's the point of the entire book here in the book of John. He wrote this book. He says it in the last chapter, in the last verse. He says, the reason I wrote this book was so that you would know that Jesus is truly the Messiah, that he really is the Son of God. And um, John has a heavy focus and emphasis on John the Baptist. So let's take a look. Let's see what he's got, and we're going to pick out some things, and hopefully it'll encourage you this morning, and um, hopefully it'll build you up. So John 1... Verse 19 says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now, there is Jews, right? There is priests and there is Levites. They wanted to ask who he was. He was in the desert. He had a strange uh, fashion statement, really. He had camel's hair and a leather belt and he ate locusts and wild honey and He's kind of a strange dude, and so uh, even though he was as strange as he was, and he was way out in the wilderness, in the desert, like away from town, people would flock out there. They would just, they would just head out there, and I'm sure maybe some of them just wanted to see who this weirdo was, and, but more importantly, they were going out there because there was something spiritually significant really going on, and um, they would just come in droves out there, and John the Baptist would be baptizing people out there. And so when the crowds and, and um, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the word right now. When the, uh, I'd ask for you to fill in the blank, but you're not in my brain, so that's not really going to work. I'll just say, when he got really popular, the religious leaders were like, hey, listen, let's go find out about this guy. So they sent some guys out there, and they're asking him, and now these guys that are asking about him are the religious leaders. Now these guys, nobody was more religious than these guys. They knew their Bibles, what they had of the Bible that time. It was only the first five books in our Bible. That's all that they had. They knew that better than anybody. The way they spoke, the way they dressed. Um, 
everything that they did, they made sure to follow everything like to the letter of what it said and then tried to go beyond that. And what they like to do is they like to make sure everybody else tried to do that too. So they were like really heavy about religion. So it like weighed people down, made them never feel good enough, and it was really a struggle. So these guys come out there, and they want to ask who he is. So verse 20. It says, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. So they're thinking, hey, you're getting all these people out here. All these baptisms are going on. You're like shaking up this place. And uh, his response is, well, hey, I'm not the Messiah. That's not me. I know this is pretty impressive right now, but it's not who I am. So they asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So first thing, right, you want to look at in your bulletin, right, is why are they asking him that question? Well, it seems like a strange question. If you're reading the Bible, like, for the first time, or if it's something you study on your own or you're not really familiar with it, you'd be like, well, that's kind of a strange question to ask. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense for them to ask, well, are you the Messiah? And you flat out just said no there. But they say, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? Who are these two guys? Why are they asking them that? Well, Elijah, why did they ask him this? They asked him this because, I think on the slide up here, we have it on um, the next slide, I believe. Yes, it says in Malachi. So Malachi is like the last book in the Old Testament. Before you get to Matthew... The Old Testament finished up, and the last book was Malachi. And in the last chapter, in the last book, this passage is in there. And it says, See, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So as far as those religious leaders knew... They knew that before the Messiah came, Elijah has to come. So he just said, John the Baptist was like, well, I'm not the Messiah. So they're like, okay, then are you Elijah? Like, are you the guy that's like coming before? Because we know that has to happen because that's what it said in Malachi. And truth be told, um, he's not Elijah. Because if you remember Elijah from the Old Testament, like why would God signify this guy Elijah? This guy Elijah was pretty amazing. I wrote down some of the stuff that he did. Elijah was a famous prophet in the Old Testament. If you have any time this week, or you're not sure what to read about this week, you know, in your devotions or anything like that, you can check it out this week. First Kings and Second Kings is where you'll find them. He was a famous prophet. He predicted a famine that would happen in the land. He was fed by ravens, like birds came and fed him, like they had food, and they flew up to the guy, and like they fed him. It's crazy. He raised a young boy from the dead. He defeated about 400 false prophets in an incredible showdown. It was amazing. And then after that, he actually ran away from the king. He was succeeded by another guy with a very similar name, Elisha. So you get rid of the J, and you throw an SH in there. So it was Elijah who was first. He was succeeded by another guy called Elisha. Elijah never died. He never died. Only a couple guys in the Bible that never died. There's another guy in the Old Testament 
Genesis, um, Enoch, he never died. So Elijah never died. He went straight to heaven in a whirlwind. There was a chariot of fire. What? And there is horses of fire. It's crazy. I don't know. Let your imagination run wild. But that's how he got picked up. Like, that was his ride. And the deal was for his successor, Elisha, S-H, he said, hey, listen, you got to stick by my side. If you see me go away, you'll be able to kind of take over the ministry that I had, and you'll be able to inherit the way I was able to minister and, like, walk before the Lord. So Elisha never left his side. So he was, like, with him all the time, following and went everywhere. And sure enough, he saw him go away up at this, God sends down a chariot of fire with horses of fire and in a whirlwind. There he goes. It's crazy stuff. And what Malachi says, he says, before, right, I will send the prophet Elijah to you on the great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming. So Elisha's going to come back. Elijah, sorry. Elijah is going to come back. So they're asking, like, is this, is this, are you it? Are you him? It wasn't, but his same similar kind of spirit was there. Now, many Bible commentators, and I think I as well, also believe that Elijah will come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, but his coming won't happen until later, kind of towards the end of time. Like in the book of Revelation, there's end times and different things that happen. And in the book of Revelation, for you Bible students out there, right? in the book of Revelation, there's two witnesses at the end that spend really their days prophesying and preaching about the coming of the Messiah, about, hey, like we are just about there. And they're going to prophesy and preach about that, and then actually says that Satan is going to come and actually kill him. But that's not the end of the story. It gets better after that. But Elijah is thought to be one of those guys who will come back and do that. So he didn't necessarily come yet, but somebody like him came, John the Baptist. So who was he, right? He's a famous prophet in the Old Testament who never died. Why would they ask him that? Because they're trying to figure out if he's laying the way for the Messiah, if he's the Messiah or not. So let's see. What was the answer? He said, I am not. No, no, no. So verse 22, they said, finally they said to him, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they're like, man, they're stumped. So verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And probably in your Bibles right there, even if you have a pew Bible, see how there's a little letter right there? You have a little subscript. I don't know what your letter might be. In my Bible, it's a G. Um, You might have something else. Those are for footnotes, right? And when you're studying your Bible, you want to, like, pay attention to those things. I know you usually just read right over them and just, like, keep going. Who cares what the little letters are? But they're important because they refer back to other significant events in the Bible that have to do with that passage. So if you take a look there, right, uh, mine has a G there, right, it says Isaiah 43. So earlier in our Bible, in the book of Isaiah, it says that someone is going to be a voice of one calling in the desert, 
Make straight the way for the Lord. So this is like a prophetic thing. John the Baptist saying, hey, listen, I might not be the Elijah that's in there, but I am that voice that was wrote about in Isaiah. And so these religious leaders know about that because, I mean, they make their, they, their whole life is based off of, like, the word and the study of the word. So they would be very familiar with that. So he says, I'm a voice. I'm that voice in Isaiah 40. And that's why the title of the message, right, is uh, a voice of God. So verse 24, now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or the Messiah? And you're not Elijah or the prophet? Oh, we didn't get into the prophet part yet, right? Because they asked him that part before. So I said he wasn't Elijah. He's also not the prophet. What is the prophet? Everybody say, the prophet. Yeah, you got to do the quotes. Do the prophet. Yeah, see, like, you know, significant thing here. So if you look back, also, so you have Elijah, so like guys that are really important and the religious leaders like Pharisees and, and Levites that were on their radar that were important were the Messiah, the prophet, Elijah. Like these are three heavy hitter guys, like important guys, MVPs of the Bible, if you will. And so they paid particular importance to them. So it wasn't Elijah, he's not the Messiah, they thought maybe he was the prophet. So on another slide, you got Deuteronomy 18, which talks about this prophet I don't know how well you can read it, so I'll read it to you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Moses wrote this. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. People are like, listen, stop showing us yourself, God, like this. We can't handle when your presence is here. It actually kills people. Like We can't even see... We can't even function in your presence. So the Lord said to me, what they say is good. You're right. I am pretty overwhelming. I am the creator of the universe. Like, So what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So the religious leaders were always looking for the prophet, right? They're always looking for this guy. Like, where is this guy? Moses talked about it, and they said it was going to happen, and they asked John the Baptist, are you the prophet then? You're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Like, no, I ain't that either, you know? I am just a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a voice of one in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord, saying, hey, make your paths straight. And we'll talk more about what that means in a minute. So verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And so they ask him, they're like, well, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, but you're baptizing people, like, why are you doing this? Now, baptism at that time was really only for Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, but they felt that Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and Judaism was like the right faith to be in, the right God to follow. So if a Gentile felt that way, 
he or she could get baptized. And then even though they're not technically by blood Jewish, they could be adopted sort of into the Jewish family. And so John's reply to that is, is, well, I'm only baptizing with water here, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And it says this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So in other words, I'm baptizing with water right now. This is just like a prelude or a trailer to who's going to be doing some unbelievable baptism. Because the truth of the matter is, John the Baptist could just baptize with water and that makes you bring some kind of cleanliness in the moment because it involves repentance that you need to turn away from the life that you once were living and things that you once did, and now you want to go the way of God. And so his baptism would signify that. For believers that Jesus will baptize, it's totally different. When somebody gets baptized now, then they need to keep getting baptized. They're clean forever. They're always clean. Cleanliness has now moved in and rules the day, whether you think it, feel it, or not. That's what the Bible promises, because we are baptized with Jesus Christ. And you are raised like he was with his spirit inside of us. So John's baptism, it was good. It signified a mental ascent to, yeah, i got to get things right. But Jesus' baptism takes it even further and makes us clean for all time, deposits his spirit in us. And then sometimes for the believer, there's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens to some believers. And it's a real deal thing. And it could happen one time, ten times, twenty times, whatever. And basically what it means is there's an overwhelming power, overwhelming sense and presence of God that just comes upon a believer. He could just be walking, he or she could be walking down the street just in prayer. They could be in church, you know, during worship time. Um, they could just be in the car, you know, driving or whatever. But you're just in a moment with God and he just like overwhelms you. Your faculties, your being, and sometimes it just shows up in different ways. It manifests itself like in different ways. Sometimes you just be sobbing just like a little kid just, wow, he's wrecking me right now. Sometimes you just go like just yelling, just, yes, God, yes. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for what you're doing. I'm so glad to be your son and daughter. Right? He just overwhelms. Sometimes he'll give a vision of what's going on or he'll speak a strong word to your heart that's either for you or for somebody else. These things would, did not happen and were not happening when John the Baptist was around. It was just a simple baptism in the water, boom, you know, that's it. We live in a totally different air and covenant within Jesus Christ. That's why John says, man, I'm not even worthy to tie the guy's shoes. Like, I'm just, I'm just a prelude, just a trailer guy. Don't look at me. The real one is coming. And sure enough, verse 29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
guy's probably just beside himself. You know, like little kids and girls are at Bieber concerts. Ah! You know, like he was probably losing it when he saw Fuck, oh my God, it's the Lamb of God that takes away his sins. Like this is the Messiah I was telling you about. The guy, I can't even tie his shoes. This is the, it's happening right now. We've been talking about it for almost 1,500 years, and here it is. Can you imagine? Man, if I had a DeLorean, I'd want to go back and see that moment. It's incredible. I'd dial it up. I don't know what data you know, I'd have to put in there, but I figured it out. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. It's the most intense baptism of all time. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, basically God told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist is beside himself, like beside himself, and uh, Jesus goes to him, he goes, you got to baptize me right now. And his response is, actually, no, I don't. You know, you're king of the world. Like, you should be baptizing me and everybody else here right now. And Jesus says, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like my father said, we got to do it this way. And you could probably, I could just picture John the Baptist probably just like weeping. Like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Kind of like when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, and he just sets us free from everything, and no sin will ever be counted against us ever again when we submit and surrender our lives to him. This is ridiculous. Awesome. Must have been an awesome, awesome moment. And so then he baptizes them. And then to capitalize on that moment, <laughs> the heavens open. Spirit sets on them like a dove. I don't quite know how that works. And then in one of the Gospels, the other Gospels, it says that God actually spoke. And people heard his words. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. It's amazing amazing and the point that John John the fisherman puts this in his book is because again he's trying to show that man this really is the son of God like look how this thing developed and look at the stuff that happened in and around his life so for us though for us I just had a couple of thoughts that I just want to share with you and then we're going to take communion One thing about John the Baptist. Now let me just make sure I got these questions too. Okay. What does make straight the path mean? And this kind of falls into what we're talking about. So John the Baptist, I really like, I really like what he does and what he says and how he approaches the situation. One is he's a popular guy. He's a famous dude. Like if it was TV, the cameras would be there, you know. Like he's 
famous at that point in time. And he wants none of it to come to him. He's like, no, 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 I'm not the guy. He's not here. I can't even tie his shoes. Like, I'm just doing what God has called me to do. That's all that I'm doing. He was just a voice. That's all that he was. That's all that he was. And he was successful because of that. That's all that he was. He wasn't more than what the word said he was. See, he got his identity from what the word said. He said, you know what? I am Isaiah 40, verse 3. Like, this is who I am. This is my mission. That is very good and super important for us to take away. Because the fact of the matter is, we are called to also get our identity, self-worth, and understanding of who we are from what God has said. That's supposed to be the deal. John the Baptist, that's an awesome model on that. Well, then who are you? The question still hits us today, like, who are you? Jared, who are you? Like, Leanne, who are you? Austin, who are you? Like, really, who, Sal, who are you? Like, and many times you fill it in with like, well, I'm good at such and such, so I guess that's me, or I have a job in this particular field, so I guess that's me, and I'm not real good at such and such, so I guess that's not me, and I know I failed over here, so that's definitely not me. And I'm scared to do such and such, so I guess that's not me. And then we could even take like personality profile tests. You know, and are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? You know, are you a judger? Are you a perceiver? Um, and you can kind of see like what your personality makeup is. And, and all these things are good. And I think it's important to learn like kind of how we're made up and who we are and how we learn and how we communicate and where our strengths lie, and maybe where our strengths don't lie. But at the end of the day, the Christian has to have it really, really rock solid who they are based on what God says first. Because that trumps everything. Because no matter how we are feeling or what we are thinking, doesn't even totally dictate who we are. So the Bible says that the Christian, the son or daughter, has the hope of the entire world living inside of them. I don't know if you're sitting there feeling like you have the hope of the world in your life. In fact, maybe some Christian's MO is like, man, my life is just pretty hopeless, actually. But for the Christian, they have the hope of the world living inside of their hearts. Jesus has come, Jesus has died, and for those that have accepted him, like, he's in there. He's just waiting to be let loose. For the Christian son or daughter, it's promised, promised, guaranteed from God himself that those who are in Christ Jesus will be more than conquerors. 
that they won't be locked down and in bondage to any other relationship, any person, any substance. It's not their destiny and it's not who they are. This has been promised. This has been said. This is what the word says about the Christian son and daughter. It says that whoever is in Christ Jesus is a brand new creation. And many times the brand new creations want to want to go do the old stuff. Because it comes natural and been doing it for so long. And God's saying, yeah, I understand that, but I'm making you brand new. So like forget about that stuff. Or like let's work that out. That's coming with some baggage. But I'm making you brand new. I'm making you brand new. And I'm looking to work through you, not when you're finished, but while you're in the process. I'm looking for you to go pray for people, even though you're not all fixed yet. Because the truth of the matter is we're never all fixed up. He's looking for steps of faith and full surrender while he's still working with us and we're still a mess. That's why some of the most powerful testimonies that people share is when they took a risk of faith, they just went out, and they're definitely not all fixed in any way, shape, or form, but they're just like, man, my life has changed. Like, God has come into my life. He's come into my heart. I got to tell you what he's doing. See, I think that evangelism, sharing Jesus Christ with other people. Some people have a method of like trying to argue and debate and go through facts and look at science. And, and all of that is well and good if you can actually get into a good, honest dialogue and talk about it. But if it just becomes uh, kind of quarreling and just fighting and bickering back and forth, it's not real helpful. But if the Christian can actually become just a voice of the good and amazing things that God has done in their life. Maybe we'll get to the fact stuff later. If they're just a testimony of what God is, man, I used to like listen to such and such. I used to hang around such and such. I used to like do this. This used to be my behavior. He's transformed me completely. When there's a life that's just sharing, just being a voice of what God has already done, that's what's powerful. You don't really need to go to an evangelism class and just talk about, you know, how to take them through the Romans road and like do a, like, you're just being a voice and sharing what God is doing. That's all that matters. How many people in here have bought a product from a late night television as seen on TV ad where they're trying to sell you something. How many people have bought it? I want to see who's going to confess to this. One, you guys are liars. Okay, two, now the hands come. Yes, you can't lie in church. That's a really bad sin. Now, right, so those late night ads, they could, I saw one last night, they could say, well, I am such and such, I have such and such degree, I come from such and such, and really get into their background and education and their history, and they probably do a little bit of that in there. But that's not what really sells you, just like the one I watched last night. The one I watched last night was all in real estate stuff. 
just like, it's totally goofy, but it actually had me thinking about calling up this number for the free session to go listen to it. And I really have no interest in it at all in any way, shape, or form. But the thing that was locking me in and had my attention and just I was just paying attention to was the testimonials. People just sharing like their experience and their story with whatever product. In this case, the real estate product. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> they're talking about this extra money and like this so much better, you know. And da, 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 da. All the stuff you want to hear, you know. But it had me thinking. I think there's something to be said for that, like in the Christian life. Not that all the people that we're around are trying to sell a product to. The motivation in the Christian life would be, man, I have the heart of God towards them, and I love them, and I want to see God just come into their life and just bless them and transform them. Like, that should be the motivation. If that's not the motivation, you really got to spend time with God and get right with his heart on that. Because that's where his heart is. If people are, you know, bitter towards others, they got, like, unresolved anger and conflict and unforgiveness rules the day, ah, you're not going to share a whole lot, you know, about, really, Jesus Christ. And if you do, it'll just be, like, an intellectual thing that's just shared, and it's not really going to connect. People aren't stupid. They can just read right through stuff. But when the heart is right and when it's there, oh man, let me just tell you what God did with my family this weekend. Or what happened at church this week. Or what happened with such and such that was at church this week. Or These are the things that are like, wow, people can't really say much about that. And they could just blow you off and just say whatever. But man, being a voice and having firsthand experience with God himself, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And the good news is he's doing new and good works all of the time and creating opportunities all of the time. And if we could just get outside of ourselves and just worship him and be in his presence and get a perspective on what he's doing, we're now in position to be a voice. It's really hard to even be a voice if we have no idea even what the word is even saying or doing. Really difficult. So then we just sort of be Christians that are just, you know, soaking up some Bible stuff here and there, and it's not that successful. So that's one thought I thought was very interesting about John the Baptist is that, who are you? Let me tell you who I am. Boom, it goes right to a Bible verse. I think it would be worthwhile for you and for I. I spent a lot of time doing it. I still continue to do it, writing down Bible verses of who exactly I am. What exactly is promised to me? What does Jesus being dead on a cross and dying for my sins and me receiving that, what does that actually mean for me? And how does that play out in a day-to-day situation? How does that play out for me when I'm playing basketball last night with a bunch of guys? Right? How's it going to play out for me you know, later on? You know, I'm going to hang out with my family. Like, how does it play out for me in a day-to-day situation? So, the second thought has to do with making straight the paths. So John the Baptist said, I'm a voice. And we're saying, make straight the way for the Lord. I got a picture up here about this guy up here. Right? So you see a guy on deck. 
uh, with his big steering wheel and a helmsman. Everybody say helmsman. Helmsman, they just steer the ship. That's what they do. So John the Baptist said, I'm a voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, the language, the Greek language that's used illustrates a ship being steered by a helmsman. And what John the Baptist's message was, hey, listen, take that ship, which is your life, which is your body, and get that thing on the right course so that the Lord can work with it. That was his message. That was the message of John the Baptist. Take your life, which is the ship, take your body, take what's going on in and around you, and get that thing on course. Don't get stuck in the Bermuda Triangle. Get rid of the heavy cargo. Dump all of the stuff that would take you and divert you away from the course that you're intended to go, that you're destined to be in. Dump all of that stuff. Make straight the paths for the Lord. And that's what people would do. They would run out to the wilderness and the desert. And what they would do is they would make straight the way for the Lord. And how would they do that? They would come to God and repent to Him and say, Lord, I am sorry. I've been doing such and such. I've been living such and such. I want to be headed the right direction. And honestly, we get rid of that guy's picture up there. If we put a little Jesus at the wheel, like that's the idea. That is totally the idea. And the message really hasn't changed. Make straight the way for the Lord. That's what we're called to do as Christians. There's storms and there's wind and there's waves and there's all kinds of stuff coming against us looking to steer the ship. There's challenging situations in life. There's just ourselves. Where we got selfishness and we got pity and we got anxiousness and we got uh, self-centeredness and we got guilt and then there's shame and there's fear of all different types. It gets in the way of messing up our shit. It could capsize us. It's a big time problem. We've got to lay that stuff down before him and let him actually take the wheel. That's what we're called to do. It's the same message with John the Baptist. And when Jesus came on the scene, he actually said, you know what? I'm preaching the same message that John the Baptist did. That's what Jesus actually said. He just continued the same message. And so we continue the same message. So what's the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? John's baptism makes you clean only for a moment. Jesus' baptism makes you clean forever. You're squeaky clean if you got the king living in you. Right? If you don't, sin's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. But Jesus already dealt with it, so you just got to accept that. But it will cost you everything. Because Jesus doesn't just want a little bit. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ went to the cross? He's like, well, I'm going to tithe and give 10% of my blood. That's not what he did. He gave everything. Everything. So I just want to be clear and make sure that you know when a life comes and surrenders to Jesus Christ, he wants all of it. 
for his reasons, for his glory, he wants all of it. And a lot of times there's a lot of fight back on that. But that's the way it is. He made us, we were made for him, and he's just saying, listen, I just want you back. I just want you back. I'm going to create you for, I'm going I'm to bring back what you're intended to be and restore you back to what was originally intended. So give me all of yourself. You'll find out it is more than worth it. What's one of the most successful ways of sharing the gospel? Just being a voice. Being a voice. And not like an annoying one with a bad tone and a horrible attitude and one that doesn't listen, right? Those things are not helpful. But being a voice. And hopefully, there's a lot more listening going on before your voice gets involved. Because then people have the idea that they actually do care about them. We're not trying to argue with them, and the Christian is not just trying to argue, but we're trying to like listen, like figure out who they are and what their family is like and where they're at and what they're passionate. I don't know how many coworkers you can talk about where you know what they're passionate about, what's going on with their family, what's going on with their kids, what they're struggling with right now, what they really find to be enjoyable. Like we should be good. We should have a beat on this stuff because man, we love people because Jesus loves them. And if we're not quite there yet, man, be praying about that. These are the things that impact the world. This on Sunday is just, it's like a, it's like a vitamin. It's like a nutrient. We just come together, you just get, you know, a little supplement. But then the real deal is out there, the other six days, that's where it really gets lived out. We come together here and we lift Jesus' name up on high, maybe like we never have been able to during the week. We be encouraged by one another. Maybe get prayer and things that we need. Position ourselves. So just to make sure, hey, we're in a place where God can use us. And then we go out and go do it. And go be light. And then go impact and love. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. And um, the elements are right up here. We'll have a song going. Probably that last song, Be Thou My Vision, we'll play. And um, Like I say all the time, um, if you don't have a relationship really with Jesus Christ and you're not okay with him owning all of you, everything, then I definitely wouldn't take communion. Like that's kind of defeats the purpose. Communion is recognizing that, yes, he owns everything, all of me. I'm willingly giving it to him, even when it costs me a lot. I'm giving it all to him. And like communion just emphasizes that and highlights that. And we spend time thinking about that and thanking God that we can actually trust him with that. And so um, we'll have communion together and um, we'll play the songs. You can just come right up and take it. Hold on to the elements and then we'll take it together as a family. Sound good?